Hello, everybody, and welcome back to this week's edition of the About Tree View podcast, here to amplify diverse voices in media. I'm your host, as always, that guy named John. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on your podcast platform of choice. You can also stream the episodes directly from the website abouttreeview.com, which is where you can find full links to the show notes and guests. Follow the podcast on social media at About Tree View on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and also youtube.com slash about to review. On this week's solo episode, I'm going to be reviewing four new movies, which are in theaters right now. Angel Has Fallen, Blinded by the Light, Good Boys, and Ready or Not, as well as finally getting my recap of the 2019 Seattle 48-hour film project, which happened a couple weeks ago. And as you kind of noticed, with the recent episodes that I have released, I'm now kind of getting back into the swing of things and catching up on everything. So everything is good, and I'm just kind of moving forward with things and back on track. So the 48-hour film project actually happened uh, like last week or so, but just getting to it right now. So that will all be on this episode of the About Treeview podcast. But before we get into that... We'll go to the original theme song created by Damien Randall of Ill-Mannered Media. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. As opposed to stacking a bunch of geek news to catch up on things on this episode, I'm actually just going to go right into the movie reviews uh, because, yeah, there are just a couple of movies coming out. So I wanted to kind of breeze through this, especially after the deluge of multiple episodes that I dropped in a short period of time that were all like two hours each. So going to keep this one uh, pretty brief. So the first movie on the docket is Angel Has Fallen, directed by Rick Roman Waugh, starring Gerard Butler, Morgan Freeman returns, uh, Piper Perabo, Jada Pinkett Smith is in this for some unknown reason, uh, Danny Houston, Nick Nolte, and a bunch of other folks. This is the third of the Has Fallen series. There was Olympus Has Fallen, then London has fallen, and now Angel has fallen. We have been following the same character through all of these, and that is Gerard Butler's character of Mike Banning, who started out as like this disgraced presidential secret service person, then gets redeemed in like the first movie, and then is back in the second, and now returns for the third. And what this reminded me of when the show 24 first came out, with Jack Bauer, of course, and the whole season took place within 24 hours, that was a genius concept. And I remember when that first came out, I was like, how has nobody done this before? And then they came out with the season two, and I was like, okay, how is this one 
person going to have this many days that would alter the course of the world? Where he has to protect the somebody from the MacGuffin that would explode the thing. One season? Sure. Two seasons? Okay, sure. Secret Service people can have two really crazy days. 24 went on for nine seasons. That makes no sense at all. Now in this third movie of the Has Fallen cinematic universe, Mike Banning has now been in three of these situations. One where the White House was invaded and almost destroyed. Second one in London where almost the whole United Nations was supposed to be assassinated and he stopped that. And now in this one, he is protecting the president, Morgan Freeman, from the other shadow organization. This movie is ridiculous. And I say that because within the first five minutes, if you had given me a notepad, or rather a, a second notepad, and we're like, all right, John, you just saw the first five, maybe ten minutes of this movie that is, how long is this movie? This movie is uh, two hours. So give me ten minutes of this movie, and I would write down every plot point that I think was going to happen, and nine out of the, nine out of ten of them would have happened. This is one of the most predictable movies. The villains are just the snidely whiplash-looking characters, where as soon as they get introduced, you're like, oh, okay, well, that is the bad guy. I mean, immediately, there are no twists and turns or anything interesting about this movie in the sense of difference or the sense of like they could have done this or this but no they played it absolutely safe in one of the first big action set pieces not the first one which is kind of this training uh not montage training scenario in the first kind of real action beat we get this drone attack where this group of course shadow agency number 6592 you know that you could put in these movies starts firing off all of these drones which are then explosives that part is really interesting because drone technology is getting really good and i would not be surprised if this is something that is at least plausible but they introduce these hundreds of programmable drones that are nigh indestructible for this one attack that we see in the first like 20 minutes of the movie. We never see that technology again in this entire movie. Normally, if you are introducing some crazy uh, kind of MacGuffin, some weapon, it gets introduced in like the third act and people are like, Oh no, it is the thing that we feared that could do everything. In this, they give that to you in the beginning and then never utilize that tool again in scenarios where that would have really come in handy. Like, it just did not really make sense, you know, with that. The other thing, anybody who loves action movies and everybody who listens to this podcast knows that I love a good slash cheesy action movie. A long stretch of these action movies the biggest MacGuffin was the EMP. In almost every movie, somebody would be like, oh no, they set off an EMP. And then Captain Exposition would go, oh no, an EMP? 
that's an electromagnetic pulse and it knocks out all of the electronics in a certain area. We get it. Like we know, we know what an EMP is. And every now and then you would get a movie where somebody would mention an EMP and Captain Exposition would not explain it. And you're like, oh, good for you. The new thing in these types of movies is the dark web. Every movie that has to do with any sort of espionage or whatever, you get some character who's like, oh, I found out their secret information on the dark web. We get it. Like, it is the new thing that people are worried about, but come on. Like, it just, again, this movie never really takes chances or risks. And Danny Houston, he, I think, has played this same character that he plays in this movie at least a dozen times. And I'm pretty sure he has, well, I will not spoil anything. I'm pretty sure his arc that he has in this movie, I have seen him do in at least half a dozen other movies as well. So you just, you go into this movie wanting a dumb action movie, and you get a dumb action movie. But almost to the point where it is just ridiculously dumb, and I don't know, it, it is that weird border with action movies where like sometimes you can just turn your brain off and just enjoy it. I have a hard time when I'm trying to like pick these things through and I'm like, why would they not just do this thing? Or why would they not use this technology and complete this part of the mission and just be done with it? And it just, it, that was weird. Uh, but anyway, that pretty much wraps up this Angel Has Fallen. This is the third movie out of the series Please do not make another one of these. There is no reason. Like, this is just a government agency action, not even spy movie. Like, he's not a spy. He's just a security officer for the president. We get so many of these all the time. Just, just let it go. Come up with something new, something different. Just kind of anything. So... Yeah, if this is your first time listening to this podcast, and I talk about this on every episode, the rating system for the About to Review podcast, there are only three choices. No letter grades, no stars, none of that. The three choices are good, bad, or ugly. A good film is something that you would recommend to a friend. Bad film is something you came out of the theater and were just kind of meh about. And an ugly film, avoid at all costs. So my official rating for Angel Has Fallen uh, again, directed by Rick Roman Waugh, I want to say, W-A-U-G-H, might be Wolf, if, if it is Scottish or something, I could be butchering that. Anyway, starring Gerard Butler, Morgan Freeman, Jada Pinkett Smith, and Danny Houston, uh, this movie is bad. Like, th there is no reason to rush out to the theater and see this. Sometimes with action movies, even the dumb ones, you still want to see it in the theater to have that experience. Save your money. Wait like three months for this to be on Netflix and just watch it there. You you are not missing anything by not seeing this in the theater. Save your money. Watch it at home. So Angel Has Fallen gets a bad from me. Next on the docket is Blinded by the Light, directed by Gurinder Chada, who is the director of the incredibly popular Bend It Like Beckham a uh, film that came out many moons ago that I remember when it came out just did incredibly well. Really, really solid film. Blinded by the Light is basically about this young Pakistani-British young man 
uh, played by Vivek Kalra, whose name is Javid, in the show, or in the show, in the movie. And he is growing up in this small town, like a couple hours outside of London, and he is trying to find his place in the world as a teenage boy in the 80s. And through various ways, he stumbles upon the music of Bruce Springsteen. Keep in mind, this movie takes place in 1987, which was, I would say, arguably the height, or maybe one of the heights of Bruce Springsteen's career. Like, he was everywhere. So this film, you know, it talks about the troubles of growing up and being a teenager and dealing with those regular things, but also in the context of being from a Pakistani family, a young Pakistani, you know, young man in a town that does not really have the tolerance for that. And there are constant racial incidences throughout the movie that, based off of the real story of Safraz Manzur, who co-wrote this movie, and this is basically about you know, his life and based off of a book that he wrote, these are things he went through. These are things that his real friends went through. His friend in the movie uh, who plays uh, Roops, who the actor is Aaron Pagura, like he and his real friend Roops dealt with these things on a daily basis sometimes growing up in the 80s in London, being brown in a town where that was already something different. The themes of this movie are very basic. I mean, you have the father-son kind of immigrant story where Javid, you know, was born in Pakistan and then came to London or outside of London, came to England as a very, very young child. So he really does not connect to his family's home country of Pakistan, yet his father is really drilling into it that he is not English, he is Pakistani, but then his classmates are saying, you are also not British, you are Pakistani, but he was, like, he just did not know who he was supposed to go to. So that was definitely relatable, and I like that, but again, the themes are pretty basic. You have that father-son, you have the immigrant finding his voice, love and loss and passion, and everybody is really good in this film. Like, it was a very well-acted ensemble. But the major crux of this film is the music of Bruce Springsteen. Watching this movie, compared to some of the other kind of musical biopics we have seen recently, like Rocket Man, Bohemian Rhapsody, watching this movie and having Bruce Springsteen music, Bruce Springsteen's music be the big driving force quickly made me realize... I do not know of or care about almost all of Bruce Springsteen's music. Like, it just did not connect with me. Like, yeah, Born in the USA, sure. Dancing in the Dark, I kind of know. But that was it. And so it was interesting to be sitting in this theater, watching these emotional moments in the movie. But as soon as the music came in, I disconnected from it. It was just kind of weird. Like you have these fantastical musical style moments where his character is kind of seeing the lyrics on screen and he is dancing and he is singing and it just did nothing for me. And I, and I don't think that is the fault of the performers. 
Because like I said, the acting was great. It's just the music. I just disconnected every time it would go into some big musical number because I think it would hit people with nostalgia who remembered it or liked it. I, A, do not remember it, and B, when I do hear it, I am not a big fan. And so that was just kind of a weird disconnect, and I feel like I would have enjoyed this movie more had it just been about the immigrant story and the father-son dynamics and finding your place in the world through adversity, because I can relate to that. And as much of a musical fan as I am, and I grew up in them, and I sing almost every day if I can, all of these musical beats just did not work. So that was that was weird and unexpected, honestly. All of that being said, I did get to interview Safraz Manzur, who is in town uh, promoting this film a couple weeks ago. So that interview should be coming up uh, very soon. It is already edited. I just need to kind of tweak it a little bit and put some finishing touches on it. So I really liked sitting down with him because his story is fascinating. And I really liked listening to him and his book, the excerpts that I was able to read before I met with him. That was good. It just this movie did not really do anything for me. So I think with this film, if you like Bruce Springsteen, you are probably going to enjoy this movie. If you do not know of or like Bruce Springsteen, it might not hit home with you because it just was not, I think, strong enough without that music to if you did not connect with the music, it is going to be rough kind of connecting to the rest. So all of that being said, my final uh, rating for Blinded by the Light, again, directed by uh, Gurinder Chara, uh, is a bad, unfortunately. Solid performances, but with that constant disconnect whenever the music would go into these big numbers, it was just hard for me to stay invested to these characters. There were things that I liked. There were performances that I liked. I liked at the end seeing some actual pictures. Everybody knows that I love that with biopics. So that was good, but overall, it just did not work for me. So yeah, so Blinded by the Light gets a bad. Moving on to arguably what has been one of the summer's biggest surprises, uh, especially for a comedy. And this is Good Boys, directed by Gene Stepinski. This is his first feature as well, which is really interesting. So this movie stars Jacob Tremblay, Keith Williams, and Brandy Noon, mostly. Those are the three young boys. They're seventh graders. Uh, and this is modern day compared to 1987, where we just were with Blinded by the Light. This is modern day, seventh grade boys, beginning of the school year, you know, again, on that journey of self-exploration, of working with your friends, of starting to notice girls, what that means, what your body is feeling, all of those prepubescent things that people go through are in this film. And so this has already kind of been compared to last year's eighth grade in the sense of I knew people who had to walk out of eighth grade, uh, directed by Bo Burnham, starring Elsie Fisher, because it was too real. It was too just raw watching a young person go through these things that all of us can connect to in some way. This movie is very, very similar 
except this is a rated R comedy. And it really kind of goes for it in certain tones and certain things they are doing. But watching these three young boys, these three stellar actors who work really well together, Jacob Tremblay already is on like an Oscar path. Like this kid is solid. I've yet to see him in anything where he is not impressive. And he has some range. I mean, considering we, a lot of people saw him for the first time in Room with Brie Larson, to now see him, how old is this kid? Like maybe 13? Let me pull this up. Uh, He was born in 2006. Oh, that hurts. Uh, So yes, he is only 13 years old and he is a star. He is really good. So he is kind of the main character, uh, Max. But yeah, Max, Lucas, and Thor are just these three best friends, the beanbag boys, as they call themselves, just navigating middle school or junior high, depending on your region, uh, and girls and everything. The humor in this was amazing. I have not laughed this hard in a theater in a very long time. And these days, especially with some of the health issues that I have been going through recently, I definitely needed that. This was a great time at the movies to just sit there, watch these prepubescent boys who I could just connect to. And I'm like, this is so painfully awkward. Even though the things they are going through, like Googling things and looking up adult images accidentally, that technology literally did not exist uh, when I was you know, their age and going through these things. But the messaging was the same. The feeling was the same. There's this whole subplot where the cool kid in school, whose name is Soren, this young actor named Isaac Wang, uh, he pulls out a beer. And they're in, like, you know, this forest because they had skipped school and they were doing bad things. And he pulls out this beer and all of them, like, their eyes get big. And they're like, yeah, I took four sips. And everybody was just like, oh, snap. It was this huge deal. Like, no way. Nobody can do four sips. And so then it becomes this subplot where it gets repeated over and over again. And you see these little boys, these young boys, like, taking the sip of a beer. And you would think it was like moonshine. Absolutely hilarious. Uh, Keith Williams, who plays Lucas, was also great. But one of the things that I liked, especially about his character is it showed all of these boys at various times, and especially Keith, being sensitive, like truly going through different emotions. All of these boys cry. Together, they cry apart, but it truly shows them being vulnerable. And I think that is so important these days. Even though, again, seventh graders cannot see this movie because it is rated R, the messaging is the same where it's like listen man like sometimes it is rough like yes looking back on our middle school days and thinking like really we thought we had it rough when we were living at home with a roof over our head for free and free food but still not to take away from there were times when all of us kind of went through those moments even at a young age when life was hard man whether it was girl troubles or troubles with your friends So all of these boys show range and show emotion and vulnerability and sometimes overconfidence, but it just felt genuine. And I I just think that was a really important message to show. Just be like, yeah, be vulnerable because sometimes, sometimes it is hard no matter what. 
Uh, so yeah, really solid movie. Uh, yeah, it is in theaters right now. Definitely, for my money, the best comedy so far this summer. Uh, super enjoyed this film. I definitely will want to see this again at some point. At some point, because it just, yeah, it was really funny. So, Good Boys, directed by Gene Stepinski, uh, starring Jacob Tremblay, Keith Williams, and Brandy Noon, among other people. And man, Jacob Tremblay, like, he is one of those kids where, just get it ready, because he is going to win an Oscar one of these days. So, you heard it here first. Probably not first. Probably many people have said that before. But yeah, he is solid. So, Good Boys. My official rating is a good. So, definitely enjoy this movie. Go see it. It will make you laugh. It will make you cry. And the other thing that I like real quick, if this were a film around the same type of thing of boys growing up and developing, you know, tingly feelings and whatever, if this movie were in the 80s, there would be some contrived situation in which one of the girls in the movie or some woman would end up in like a bikini or underwear, or something, and yes, I'm thinking of you, Weird Science, because it is a very creepy movie to go back and watch again. This movie, it never goes there. It never needs to, because we're really just focused on the boys and their relationships with each other and trying to figure out, you know, how to work through your friendship when a lot of drama enters your life. Uh, Heartbreak. We see poor Max go through all sorts of heartbreak in this movie. But I just, I liked that, again, it it is it felt mature compared to a lot of the movies like this from the 80s and even early 90s where it would find a way to be like pervy and weird. And this was not. So yeah, I definitely wanted to just uh, throw that out there for my last part about Good Boys. Uh, moving on to the last feature uh, review of this episode... This film was also in theaters, uh, just came out in theaters, actually. This is Ready or Not, which is directed by Matt Bettelini-Olpin and Tyler Gillette, uh, starring Samara Weaving, Adam Brody, Mark O'Brien, uh, Andy McDowell, Nikki Guadani. I probably butchered that. Uh, yeah, this film is, well, I'm just going to read the synopsis. It is one sentence, and it gets right to it. A Bride's Wedding Night takes a sinister turn when her eccentric new in-laws force her to take part in a terrifying game. If you have seen the trailers for this movie, you get the gist of it. But yeah, basically, Samara Weaving's character, uh, Grace, she marries, you know, one of the young sons, or not one of the young sons, one of the sons of this, I mean, maybe not billionaire, but multi-millionaire, you know, game family. And on the wedding night, she has to draw a card. The game she draws is hide and seek. Then pretty much she has to hide from them until dawn as they try and essentially kill her. So rich people acting crazy for 90 minutes is pretty much the perfect length for a film like this. A horror movie, which this is, like this is a... A different type of horror movie, like this is a horror comedy, but definitely still a horror movie in a lot of different ways. This movie is 95 minutes. 
That is all you need for a movie like this. Like, keep it tight, keep it short, focus on the absolute badness in one location, which is this gigantic house. There you go. I do wish that they had layered Samara Weaving's character a little bit better. There was there was one plot point in this movie where I turned to the person that I was sitting next to within the first few minutes and I suggested an idea of something that I thought might happen in the movie and it did not go there, which is okay, but some of the characters did kind of feel really surface level. We get a lot of interactions between all of them, which is great, and this movie is very funny, like surprisingly funny. On IMDb, this is listed as horror, mystery, thriller. That should be horror, comedy, thriller. Like the mystery angle, I guess. I mean, yes, it is kind of a mystery as she's trying to figure out why this family is so crazy and what they're doing, and what they have been doing and what they plan on doing. But this movie is legitimately funny, like laugh out loud, funny in the right parts. It is not like some horror movies where you're laughing out of maybe a sense of kind of shake off the fear or because it is so ridiculous. This is funny. Like there are funny characters saying funny things and also a lot and a lot of blood. I mean, the bylines for this movie Almost every critic that I know is using some play on the words of a bloody good time, which is fine. It makes sense. It works because this is like Quentin Tarantino, Kill Bill style, just massive blood everywhere. So 95 minutes, keep it tight. I wish that even in that 95 minutes, they had layered some of the characters better, but Samara Weaving, she is coming for like the new scream queen role she belts out so many solid screams in this as she is fighting and fleeing her way through the movie super impressive i really liked also that she has this confidence and resiliency when we first see her and that continues through the whole movie she never really sheds her armor. We never really, you know, get the sense that, oh, she was just faking it or whatever. Like, no, this is a strong woman. This is a strong, independent, confident woman from beginning to end. And I dug that. I think that was really, really cool. The score of this music or the score of the music, the score of the movie was great. The original score, the music selections, there is a lot of classical music. You have some Beethoven's Ninth, you have some Tchaikovsky, 1812 Overture, gets replayed multiple times. I loved that. I love that element. The original score gave you these really creepy tones and this ready or not hide and seek song on a 35 record that was just, yeah, really good, super creepy. I liked that. Uh, Yeah, this this was also... I mean, again, I hate to say it, but a bloody good time uh, at the theaters. I think if you are looking for something super irreverent, this is it. If you can handle a lot of blood. I think there are some people who are not going to be able to get through this movie purely because of that. And that is okay. You know, find the things that you like. Enjoy those. Because, yeah, this this is a lot of blood in a lot of different ways. So, but yeah, ready or not, my official rating 
gets a good. Another movie that I really enjoyed that I went into this legitimately not knowing kind of what it was going to be, how it was going to turn out, and came out of it a big fan. So, yeah, good job for Ready or Not. The last thing I want to talk about on this week's episode, most listeners of this podcast know that I am a huge fan and supporter of local filmmakers. And one of the things that this podcast, the About Review podcast, sponsors every year, there are two different events. So one is the Seattle 48-Hour Film Project, and then one is the Seattle 48-Hour Horror Film Project, which is in October. The first one of those, the regular 48-Hour Film Project, happened recently. And for those who are not very familiar with this, this is a global competition that happens in tons of cities around the world where filmmakers get together, they are assigned on a Friday night a theme, a character, a prop, and a line of dialogue that they have to incorporate in a film, minimum of four minutes, maximum of seven minutes. Once they leave that event on Friday night, they got to start going. They got to start writing, shooting, editing, because within 48 hours on Sunday night, they have to turn in a finished, edited, mixed film. That by itself is madness. I encourage every aspiring filmmaker to do one of these events at least once. Get a crew of, I think the the least amount of people one year was one person. There was one that had like 116 at some point. So get some friends together, shoot a movie in 48 hours with some parameters and just, it is incredible. So every year, I'm blown away by these films. I usually try and get a couple interviews with either the festival organizers, which are Kirk Nordenstrom and Chris Flink, and some of the filmmakers. This year, just with some timing and some of my other issues, I was unable to do that. So I do apologize to the filmmakers who had reached out, who knew that I was going to the event, and we just were not able to connect. Hopefully, I can have them on the show another time and do just a local filmmaker just kind of round table and get some people together. I think that would be really fun. So for this year's 48-hour film project, the required elements, the character had to be Harry or Harriet Biddle, and they had to be a mechanic. The prop was a lanyard, and the line of dialogue was the depth of your ignorance is deep. So every film had to incorporate those at some level. I will have to say, after doing this now for a few years and sponsoring it, which means I have I get to watch, I have the opportunity to watch all of the films that get produced. This year with Lanyard, I get it. It is a lanyard. The prop sometimes just gets is a throwaway thing that the filmmakers are like, all right, cool, we showed a lanyard and we are good. Box is checked. Yes, that is true. To qualify for awards... You have to have those things in there in some way or another. This year, I was a little bit um, not disappointed because that, that I, I really don't want to take away anything from these filmmakers who participated in this year. But it was interesting that this year, among the past few years, the prop was arguably the biggest kind of throwaway. I mean, you would have characters who just happened to be wearing one in a scene 
and that was it. Like there was not really real interaction with the lanyard in the context of the movie for most of them. And and I get it. I, I totally get it. You have 48 hours to do this thing. But I kind of wanted a little bit more. So there were some that did an incredible job, you know, with it. And they, well, they won for best prop. But yeah, everything else, like the character was solid in most of these. The line, the depth of your ignorance is deep. It was interesting how many different ways people were able to throw that in. So, but yeah, what I'm going to do is I'm going to list, uh, I have two honorable mentions that I really enjoyed uh, that actually I have seen more than once because I was able to watch it um, at one of the screenings and I saw it again at the award screening. So I will do two honorable mentions and then my top three favorite films of this year's Seattle 48-hour film project. So my first honorable mention for this year the name of the film was The Last Straw by ST Productions. Now, this was a really funny kind of cops style TV mockumentary where it shows these two detectives. I'm doing air quotes right now because they're not actually detectives. They're not actually real cops. And one of them has this compulsive need to investigate plastic straws. And she takes it deadly seriously. Her partner recognizes that it is kind of ridiculous. And she kind of just goes from one extreme to the next. One conspiracy to the next. But in this one, it is straws. And her partner jokes that she is after Strablo Escobar. This kingpin of the straw uh, organization. Which are basically like drugs in this context of the world. At one point, she finds a straw at a crime scene, takes it to a reformed uh, straw mechanic, a.k.a. straw dealer. And, you know, he, he takes it, smells it, and he was like, this is pure plastic. You know, as if it is crack cocaine or heroin. So then she is trying to, like, bust other straw dealers. This was just really funny, and it nailed the kind of cop's style, where you have the in-car moments where they go on these, quote-unquote, busts. Then you have these journal moments, and it ends in this way. And it is always weird talking about short films, by the way. This is like six or seven minutes, so it is weird to be like, spoiler? Because the film was only six minutes. But anyway, it, it does culminate into this conspiracy theory that actually might be true. Really funny. I definitely enjoyed both of the detectives. They were great. Really good. Uh, just chemistry between them. One thing also, when she goes to the crime scene and sees the straw on the ground, as we see in a lot of these movies, they usually pick it up with, like, a pen from their pocket. In this, she picks up the straw with, like, the leg of a pair of, like, sunglasses, which is cool. Until I realize that she is currently wearing her sunglasses and her partner is wearing sunglasses, and I'm like, does she carry two pairs of sunglasses? Does she find that pair of sunglasses at the crime scene and then use those and take both that was confusing, uh, but really funny. Uh, so yeah, so my first honorable mention goes to The Last Straw by ST Productions. My next honorable mention is GA by Black and a Half. This was a very clear premise about the anxiety of doing a proposal, you know, around your friends or around your fiance or potential fiance's 
friends and kind of the repercussions with that. And so you have these two characters going to a barbecue where he is going to pop the question and everything keeps going wrong. The genre for this one was slapstick and they did a great job. Also, shout out to Black and a Half, which is a great podcast by my friends Manny and Silas. Uh, It is the oldest running, probably, comedy podcast in Seattle. So definitely check them out, Black and a Half podcast. But this film, GA, again, it was just really clever and it made sense. Uh, There were some really funny kind of back and forth moments, some flashbacks, if you will, when we get to find out what that message of the title is of GA through one of the characters. Also, great use of a lanyard. Uh, It made sense every time that a character, a specific character, used it. Uh, Marriott Schmidl was hilarious. It made me laugh every time I saw this movie. (laughs) So, yeah, so great job to Black and a Half, uh, Manny and Silas and Samantha Rund, who are also in that. Uh, Yeah, so GA by Black and a Half is my last honorable mention. Now, for my number three favorite film of this crop of films, because the next one, the Seattle 48-hour horror film project, is like two months away. It is right down the line. So, yeah, my number three favorite film from this one was Project Overlook by Team Lightform. Again, in seven minutes to do like a tight and well-structured story about the perils of time travel and loss and love. All of us who have ever seen time travel movies, you have that character who just wants to go back and fix one thing or just wants to go back and see one person and say the thing that they they wanted to say or do the thing they wanted to do. And of course, they're warned, do not do that. Never do that. But the heart wants what the heart wants. So in Project Overlook, a father who recently lost his daughter is kind of, well, not kind of, is given that opportunity to kind of, to say his last goodbye, to say that thing he did not get to say. And it, of course, does not really go as planned as most of these time travel films go. But the acting in this was great, especially Ray Hopper. He was fantastic. Like, I was just, again, in a seven-minute film about time travel, like, he is just, you feel this pain that he has as a father who lost somebody who is the most important person in his life. And when he gets the chance to possibly see them again, I mean, there was no way that he could say no. So, yeah, he was fantastic, super solid. And also, Lightform has been around the 48-hour film project for a while and always puts out solid work. So yeah, I was just, I was excited by that. So good job, uh, late form and project overlook. My second favorite, and this was oddly enough, well, not oddly enough, I would, I would just go to it. So my number two film is hazards abound by zillion. When you go to these events, any type of film competition where you have 48 hours, there are a few different ones. In Spokane, there's the 50-hour slam, where you have to randomly choose a genre of film as well. Nobody, and I mean nobody, wants to pick musical. 
it is so hard to do. If you pick sci-fi, sure, you got some concepts. If you pull murder mystery, if you pull silent film, if you pull all of these things, romance, easy. Or not, okay, not easy. Uh, easier to conceptualize. When you pull musical, that is rough. Hazard to Bound did something that I have not seen in covering these things for a few years now. I have not seen a team take the musical element and really dive into it as much as this team. In a six and a half minute film, there are three different songs, different beats, different choreography, different styles. That blew me away. Normally, when people draw musical, there will be some kind of ham-fisted, you know, song towards the end, maybe. Uh, there was a cool uh, Bollywood-style one, I want to say last year or two years ago here in Seattle, and that was really cool, but it was just kind of one musical number. Hazards Abound did like three songs, again, with choreography, and that that just impressed the hell out of me. The movie itself, the film itself, was about this father who is going to give his speech, going to give a speech at his daughter's, I want to say wedding, and he is going through this anxiety, and all of those musical numbers take place in his head, like while he is trying to process all of these feelings and emotions. Incredible! Like I, I just, I really was just blown away by how good this musical was for the time they had to do the songs they came up with. Yeah. Super impressive. So good job, Hazard to Bound by Zillion. Now, my number one favorite film of the 48-Hour Film Project this year is One Last Game by Twisted Ladder. Now, Twisted Ladder is another one that has been around these festivals. I have seen them a few times. I have seen a bunch of their films, always solid. I keep meaning to connect with them and have them on the show to talk about this. Scheduling is just kind of tough. But again, I want to do some sort of roundtable at some point. That would be fun. So One Last Game is just this heartbreaking and emotional film about these two young men, these two brothers, as one of them is, I think, and I and I say I think because there are various themes in this movie, kind of trying to come to grips with the loss of his brother. And he goes on this kind of quest throughout the film of various places that he and his brother would go, various things that he and his brother would do. We see him going to a basketball court. We see him going to a playground. We see him going to then a cemetery. We see them playing video games together. And one of the lines of the film, you know, when the character is just struggling with this, he looks at the, the, other, the other boy and he was like, tell me if this is real. Like, is, is this happening? And he was like, I can't tell you that. Like, I, I cannot give you that satisfaction. But the score in this, the way it was shot was just gorgeous. There's one shot, one scene in particular, where he's riding his bike along the street. He stops right in the middle of the frame, like dead set of the, you know, you always want to shoot in thirds. But this was right in the middle of the frame, you know, at the top of this road, during sunset, incredible just single image right there. 
And this movie just came together. It was just so emotional. And every now and then, when I see, I mean, because each of these festivals, I see about 50 to 75 short films in a short amount of time. And every now and then, you get one where you're just begging for more. This is that one for me. Like, this is something where if you were to expand on this idea, expand on this concept, I would be so on board. Even if he takes the seven minutes and were to make it a 20-minute, you know, short or 25 minutes, I would I would love that because there's enough there to get you invested in this short time with this kind of beginning, middle, and end, but you care about these characters. You become attached to these characters in that short time, and I want to see how this plays out. So yeah, so that was absolutely incredible. So good job. Uh, one Last Game by Twisted Ladder. I will put a link to the 48-Hour Film Project's website where you can see some of the team names, the teams who won, and a lot of them, you know, will have Facebook pages or you can find out kind of who worked on these films. I highly encourage people to reach out to them and, and yeah, just give them a thumbs up. Just be like, great job. If you were one of the people in the audience you know, who saw these films, reach out to your peers, reach out to your fellow filmmakers and just congratulate them. I, I do that in my own small part by giving them some airplay here and being a, a financial sponsor for the festival, which I love to do. Supporting the local filmmaking community, wherever you are, be that Seattle, uh, Vancouver, you know, or Spokane, anywhere really that has a local film scene, support it. You know, seeing all the big name movies, I mean, I guess like Angel Has Fallen or Ready or Not is great. And I'm grateful for those opportunities. But I always want to make sure to give back to the local filmmaking community because these are the people who are grinding and creating great art during that. So, so yeah. So congratulations to all the teams who made a film, even if it was disqualified for various reasons, you still made a film. In 48 hours, if it did not include the lanyard or the character, yes, you're not applicable for a prize, but you made a film. It screened in front of people in a local audience. You deserve all of the props for that. So congrats, everybody. Go to the website uh, for the Seattle Film Project and see if you want to participate in the Horror Film Project, which is always really interesting. So I look forward to that one in October. So a quick rundown of this week's episode. Angel Has Fallen, got a bad. Blinded by the Light, got a bad. Good Boys, got a good. Ready or Not, also got a good. And the Seattle 48 Hour Film Project. Uh, one last shout out to The Last Straw, GA, Project Overlook, Hazards Abound, and One Last Game. So for this episode, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for your words of encouragement. If you want to reach out to the show, you can do that on social media at About to Review, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, youtube.com slash About to Review, and also About to Review at gmail.com. If you want to send me a message, if you are one of the filmmakers and want to schedule some time to talk, great. If you have any other questions about the show, send them my way. I love talking to people who listen to the show. Uh, yeah, because it is pretty awesome, because sometimes I think that I'm just in the studio talking to myself, which technically I am doing right now, but I'm talking with all of you. Uh, so yeah. Follow the podcast on social media. Check out the website, aboutreview.com. If you want to support the show, 
There is a support tab on the website. You can do a direct PayPal link. There's also an Amazon wish list, which would be great if you can and would like to contribute to either one of those. So that wraps it up for this week's episode of the About to Review podcast, a weekly film review podcast focusing on amplifying diverse voices in media. I have been your host, as always, that guy named John, and we will see you next time. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat.